0: The Deranged Podcast. We're so excited because today we have my very long time ago lecturer, Mister Vic here. Yay! Hello, everyone. Yay! Maybe Vic, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, uh, my name is uh Vic Nason. Um, I'm actually a counselor. Been in the practice for about 21 years. Uh, I sit on a board called ABSEC Association of Professional Specializing Addiction Counseling. I'm uh, currently the vice president and. Uh, I'm also a member of SAC, yeah, and a clinical supervisor. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Take care, so uh, as you can tell, I'm really excited. Uh. <laughs> yeah, because actually Vic is was one of my lecturers in my bachelor days, and then also my master's time also lah. Yeah, so I really know him like since way back. But wow, finally I got the chance to bring him on the podcast. So yeah. Yeah I mean he's been practicing what so yeah thank no you. we're so excited thank to have you here yeah thank you thank you yeah so we just wanted to you know uh, have a chat and ask like you know how like in the first place what got you into counseling and you
1: know okay uh what got me into counseling actually is a interesting story i uh i was in the army i was a combat clerk like at that time and uh one time after my admin duties and all i was supposed to go for a party yeah and then I heard a noise. Some somebody like sniffling or something like a bit of crying lah. But and I I saw on the I saw around but there was no one there. And then I realised on the ledge there was this guy just sitting there and uh, sniffling away with a cigarette lah, smoking lah. Uh, I think it was 19 years old. Uh, he was complaining about his officer giving and uh, sergeant giving him a hard time. Girlfriend just left him. Uh, girlfriend went went to study and uh, has another guy now and. So I kind of said, well, if uh, you know, I wanted to go for my party, but I looked at him and said, if he did anything stupid, I don't know whether he was going to do anything crazy, but he was there just smoking on a ledge. Uh, you know, this was in the evening, hardly people there. La. So I thought if I go went for my party and I came back, most probably I'll write a report if he did anything. Because <laughs> I was a duty clerk on that day, lah. Yeah. So I I sat on uh, the latch with him, just had a talk and said, hey, buddy, what are you doing here? And uh, you know, because my unit is very big, so we don't really know everyone. Uh, and uh, he just tell he was just telling me, you know, we, he, he didn't talk for a while, but after I sat there and said, "Hey, today I'm the duty clerk. so don't make my life difficult. <laughs> you know, If you're going to do anything crazy, I'll put a ground sheet. I was just joking. I'll put a ground sheet below. If you're going to do anything crazy, I make can wrap it up." But I was just joking with him, and I, I didn't know what to say, so I um, spent a the time there just listening to him. And uh, you know, he felt better, at least somebody just listening. I thought, "Hey, maybe this is something I can do. I never thought what I'm going to do uh, after my uh I mean and um after I left, never saw him. Uh 20, I think about 20 years later, I saw the same guy again and then he tapped me on the shoulder. I think the daughter was on his uh you know shoulder, he was carrying her, and he said, You remember me? And I said, No, not really. He said, Oh, you were the guy on the uh you know on the, the parapet me in that day, and then um he said, just say thank you and he left. I never really asked his name and because he was in a hurry and uh so I don't he he recognized he recognized my face so. So I think that that sort of told me maybe this is something I can do and so I I went into it and I went uh, overseas to uh study psychology because my A level grade wasn't that fantastic I read DD uh, <laughs> uh in the 90s if you do, don't enter your local university you have to go overseas uh, because they didn't have a lot of universities coming down to Singapore so I said you know I'll, I'll go and study psychology and I remember my parents say son, even if you fail never mind, don't kill yourself I just come back uh. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot, you know, uh, because everyone thought psychology is going to be a difficult thing to study. So I went overseas, I studied, uh, eventually graduated from three different universities. Um, one, I studied in Curtin University in Technology, and then I went to uh, Monash to do my ad Psych. And then eventually I did my uh, offshore learning uh, through University of South Australia, my counselling uh, masters, And uh, eventually also went into teaching. So uh, somewhere around 2007, um, at that time, SIM University, now known as the Singapore University of Social Sciences, uh, one of the, the dean of the faculty uh, and uh, another um, uh, ex-colleague of mine in IMH, the social work head, uh, Dr. Singh Boon King, uh, called me for an interview I never applied for. So I went <laughs> no, there and no, no, no. said, uh, they said, we want to consider you for teaching or we heard a lot about you and your training and you were recommended highly. Uh, and I said, I, do you get a right big? Uh, you know, I have no teaching experience, almost zero. <laughs> you sure you want to trust me as student? <laughs> And uh, I, I, they said, eh, you know, just, just give it a try, you know. And um, so we, we spoke, and uh, they asked me to present something in five minutes, and I did. And uh, they said, we are hi- hired. And that was the early days when uh, uh, SIM University was forming. Uh, yeah, they're gonna offer their own counseling degrees, and so I went into group counseling um, uh, with another uh, uh, colleague of mine, uh, and I also taught addictions. That was my other area. And on, on rare occasions when other lecturers were busy or oh, there was problems, I even thought ethics are a very boring topic. But and uh, and after that, you know, ECD Swinburne also called me because they needed to find. Uh, they desperately wanted to find another lecturer. Their other lecturer had gone to another university and was managing that So uh, so I ended up helping them. And uh, so now you know um, I'm quite. I have a good relationship with um, ECD Swinburne University and uh, also SUSS. Uh. And uh, I, I didn't teach in SUSS for a short while, uh, but now I'm called back to teach the master's program as well. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, uh, I guess I'm still valued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <of> course, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I came back to teach, and I never thought, you know, from uh, talking to the guy on the roof to, to, to this day that, you know, I'll be teaching and uh, doing a lot of training and uh, you know, working in this field uh, to help those with uh, problems. Uh. Wow. Yeah. wow. Okay. you are addiction uh, expert I, I would say my my area of specialty I, I don't want to use the word expert but my area of specialty is yeah, addictions so, uh, and uh, group therapy and uh, you know in general counseling i would say uh, but of course i do re- uh, know that there are a lot of other real experts out there who are very specialized in their area so i chose to specialize more into uh, the area of addictions uh, that's also another story i i worked in uh, uh, family Service Center, uh, 1999 to 2002, Sindar uh, Family Service Center, and uh, you know at that time, you know I was I didn't know much about addictions and I had a lot of families I was working with and uh, you know whatever the cat dragged in, uh, I had to see them uh, You know family problems, kids problems, all kinds of other problems, uh, and I, I found that with, with those with addiction issues, I, I struggled with them because I didn't know much about addictions. I had my own biases, and I thought I'd better sort this out. Uh, the counter-transference for those with alcohol problems or drug problems was quite strong. And so I read out about addictions and started learning more. And uh, the more I, I, I learned about it, the more I liked it. And then uh, in uh, early 2003, or actually late 2002, um, I applied for a job in an uh, addiction facility and um, I got uh, picked. So I was lucky and i have been working in the addiction fields since then.
0: Oh, oh. Well, ma- I don't know. It might be quite tough to do like addictions work, right? I mean because like the people that you see they might not be willing to uh seek help in the first place. I don't know.
1: I think it's it's tough but you know like all the all other mental health issues, serious mental health issues every area has its own challenges, lah, yeah. Uh you know the guys that I do work with, many of them in society, you know, there are certain biases people have against them, lah. You know, these are good for nothing, greedy people, you know, they have moral issues. But you know, people develop addictions for various reasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, some to escape from problems. Some go through traumatic events to cope. They, they use substances uh, or gambling and others, uh, you know, just to numb themselves uh, emotionally. So, so the more I, I get to understand this population, the more I liked it and, and I wanted to continue to work in this area and also work with their families. Uh, because uh, part of my job, I, I find it's not just about um, Working with those with addiction issues, but also um, advocating for them, uh, where society sometimes tends to look at many of them at, at the lower end of things. Uh, you know these people good for nothing, and they have certain biases. And uh, part of my job is also caught to correct that lah. And uh, I work with some of my colleagues who are also recovering addicts themselves. Nice. Yeah, uh, for many years, and uh, you know my colleagues and us, we we try to work with these. Um, uh, other recovering addicts to help them. Uh. Mm. And um, I also, like I said, I sit on uh, the board in Sana, Singapore Indian Narcotics Association as well. So anything addiction related, uh, you know, I, 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 I love it. Uh, you know, I want to work with it. And of course, now the new addictions like internet, uh, gaming, mamos, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know it, it's developing and evolving. Uh. So more and more, uh, I'm also trying to see whether I, you know I can work with people who have a lot more experience in the area. So that that's an up and coming area, and a lot of addictions uh, tend to fall into the the you know when it comes to uh, the internet. Uh, that is a new area which is um, of concern, especially with the youth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So so Vic, would you agree, right? That just now you you mentioned like there's a certain stigma to addicts in society. Would you agree that some addicts? Uh, They may seem Very high functioning as well Like they can go on Living their life as per normal Just like You know uh, Any Any one of us Mm -hmm. But Then they still struggle with uh, Like An addiction problem They have in their own private life It's not always that kind of uh, It's not always that kind of stigma Where people think that Oh you are For example You abuse like Substances Then you must be Not functioning No job You know But I mean, I wouldn't say some people I know la but people I've met in my experiences before, they are also very high-functioning people who you know who can hold on on day job. They, some might even be you know like sort of like high executive, but they still in their private life they have, you know, they have problems with uh, addiction. Would you
1: agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we use the word uh, functional alcoholic or functional substance user. I mean, a, a, um addiction. You're right. Addiction doesn't discriminate. Yeah, it can affect the CEO of a company to, to, the, to the cleaner, lah. any social economic group. This this word high functioning, yes, they are able to commit to many areas of their life. But that and and but substances slowly seeps in. And more and more they will need higher amounts, you know, we call it tolerance. Lah. They build tolerance to it. More and more they will need higher amounts to function. And over time, it will eat even more into their so-called functionality. Lah so that word functional functional alcoholic or uh, functional drug addict over time they will lose that ability to function very well uh, and uh, slowly more and more uh, various areas of their life will start to deteriorate uh, from their social functioning to their uh work or studies to 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 other areas uh. so so that's why i want to use the word functional can be a very temporary thing I see, I
0: see. Oh, so it's like a eventual thing uh, that they will you
1: know. Eventually, they continue, they will, it will get worse. Uh, some do come early and get help for their problems uh, because they know it's starting to be a, a big issue. Others wait until it, it's already raised down the line and more problems start to develop. Then they decide to to get help, lah. And others may end up in the hospital or the emergency room for an overdose, or or, or they may get into some something serious like accident, and and then decide I better do something about this. But you know, the earlier, of course, they come for treatment, the better. Even if they come late, you know, we do our best to help them and, and um, the other thing I think you brought was very important is, you know, we look at uh, addictions as, you know, uh, like somebody who has diabetes, I'll just give an example, an allergy, yeah? I, I look at it more like a disease uh, uh, coming from a, a mental health uh, medical setting and um, we, we, you know, when somebody develops diabetes, you know, you watch your diet, you monitor your blood sugar levels, you keep it under control, uh. addictions is just like that, uh, you know. You connect to the right services, uh, you go for your treatment, whether a doctor or counsellor, uh, you follow up with support groups, you make major lifestyle changes. You know, it's not just about stopping the drug or alcohol or gambling or, or other behavioral addiction. You need to change yourself as well. You yeah, being honest, uh, you know, being open about learning, taking feedback, uh, making major lifestyle changes, connecting the right group of people. All these are very important in recovery. And if you can put that in place and keep it under check, you know, you can maintain this condition with no problem at all But somewhere along the line, you get overconfident, you think I know I know too much You know, or you, know you don't deal with uh, things that come um, unforeseen circumstances, for example that, that come up and you don't deal with it in a healthy way um, You can fall back uh, into the condition again uh. So we do say it is a, a relapsing disorder uh.
0: So so would you say that you know like people always think that oh once you get an addiction it's like for life you cannot get you cannot get a cure, you cannot get out of it. Is it true?
1: We, we, we I mean I don't want to use that word curable because curable means you'll never get it again. But we use the word treatable and it's like diabetes. I, I use that as an example, just like analogies like like another chronic illness or COPD or some other chronic illness It's keeping the condition under control, putting the necessary steps or taking the necessary steps. Uh, to keep the condition under control. Addiction is just like that. You know, some people 20 years later Have the potential to relapse, but it doesn't mean necessarily they will uh, Yeah, because if you are able to tap on support systems like support groups, for example uh, Alcohol Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, some other counselling run uh, Addiction groups, you are able to tap on uh, resources in the community or even uh, places that offer addiction treatment like uh, WeCare Care Community Services, Sana. Uh, and uh, many other agencies that are coming up, uh, uh, even Rotary FSC Clementi, they have a soberized program. So there are many new agencies wanting to work with people with addiction problems. Some work more with alcohol, some work more with drugs, and places like We Care, for example, they work with all addictions. Uh. So more and more people have interest in this area. I'm glad. Many years ago, when I when I thought, uh if you ask people, you know, uh, who will want to do addictions and who will want to work with a group that works, uh, you know, that Want to rehabilitate those with uh, who uh, who come under a terrorist act? Addiction will be slightly better lah <laughs> la, than those who are under a terrorist act. Uh, but now you know you say more and more people have this interest, and I think that is the most uh, uh, you know a, a nice thing to hear that more and more people want to work with this population uh, who many people in society have put down or don't have trust in. Yeah,
2: can we can we dive deep a little bit about like addiction, mm-hmm. like when like. Maybe just to define addiction, what in your professional opinion what would be define addiction? Because if you ask an addict, like, eh, hey, are you addicted, no? You say no. are <laughs> I mean, they will say they're not. They are not addicted, right? So, like, in a professional opinion, what is addiction? What, what you, would you define an an addict?
1: I think to keep it in in three simple words, we look at it as a chronic, uh, progressive, uh, relapsing disorder, lah. Yeah, I use the word disorder. Some people don't like the word disease. Some people don't like to, to call it an illness, you know, different, there, there are different groups that have a different view about addictions So I'll call it in a general disorder and um, you know, it, you don't just develop addictions like that There's always a mental health link to it, you know, people have serious mental health issues and that can, can eventually lead into using substances or going into a, a, a behaviour like gambling or the internet that can, you know, if they don't deal with their mental health issues and it continues to uh, get worse then whatever they are doing is going to be a coping mechanism that can become also dysfunctional and some people develop their addictions that way uh, but others may develop like say their addictions you know for example they play golf or somebody get injury and there's pain, they go for treatment but those things are not, 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 not managed properly, can also become an addiction or well, some people go like say online, yeah? online shopping and online and uh, some of that, uh, of course there are also underlying mental health issues not just because you go online shopping you're going to have problem or just because you use substances or you go to alcohol, you're going to be uh, an alcoholic. Uh, there, there has to be other serious mental health issues that come in uh, that sort of complicate the, the situation. So we look at it at risk factors and protective factors. The more protective factors you have, like good mentor, connecting the right resources, dealing with your health issues in a, in a healthy way, having the right group of friends, uh, learning self-talk and telling yourself, you know, some things I need to, to ease a bit. The better, the more risk factors you have, genetics, parents have addiction problems or mental health problems Um, You know, you live in an environment where people are using, you join gangs at a very early age And uh, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure to use this stuff, you know Uh, And so, the more risk factors you have, the more it can push you towards you developing an addiction So, even though you have risk factors, but if you have a lot of protective factors, the chances of you developing it will be much lesser
0: wow Wow, that's actually quite a lot of things to, to <laughs> consider, actually. Because I know there are some people... So, so in my perspective, uh, my limited perspective, I think that, you know, when people have a uh, addiction, it's small. I always think that, you know, it's the intention, you know. Like, am I using this to cover up something else or to, like, fill up my time? Then I thought that, you know, that would be considered like an addiction. Lah. You know, like, some people... Like, but then you mentioned, like, you know, it has to be a... Uh, yeah progressive and they have come with a serious mental health issue first yeah so i i didn't know that lah, you know, and there's something very good cool that that yeah because usually I know that there's a they call it what comorbi right Co
1: mobility means there is a, another condition, sometimes people have severe depression yeah. and addiction, sometimes people have multiple addiction, they have gambling and alcohol or even drugs uh sometimes they like you say like it can be schizophrenia and um uh, a drug addiction. So, people with serious mental health issues also, it's quite common for them to also have uh, substance abuse issues or, or, or um, other addictions uh, because they may be using the other thing as a coping for whatever mental health they have. Sorry, sorry. Mm, yes, so what I'm saying is that that becomes a little bit complicated because you cannot just say, I treat one, I don't treat the other. For example, I treat the mental health, but I leave the addiction, the mental health issue gets better, but if the addiction doesn't get better, they use the stuff. That will, that will cause problems for the mental health and they relapse Oh, you treat the addiction but you don't treat the mental health And then the addiction, you know, the, the addiction gets better but the, the mental health part of it sort of deteriorates And they'll use substances, so we call it the fireman dilemma Two fires burning, you gotta put out both at the same time You cannot say I put out this and then later I put out that Depending on how severe one of the conditions is If both are just as severe then you concurrently need to work with it so, we usually work in a multidisciplinary team with psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, counsellors, uh, other healthcare workers, uh, other allied health individuals. So, you know, it takes a team effort and the, and the community as well. So there's no one person that can, can help this, this, this person with addiction problem. You need the whole community to come together. And I think one of the important things we always have to respect other professionals out there. Yeah. Yeah, each one has their strengths, each one has their, their, their niche area. Some clients uh, or even patients may need uh, a few resources. Some may need more. And nowadays, addictions uh, they look at it as a spectrum. Under your diagnostic manual, they call it a DSM five. They look at it as a spectrum. Some people have a little bit of problem. It's still a problem. Uh, but you know, may need less resources, more education, and, and uh, you know, doing controlled drinking, for example. Some people may be more severe. They have all the chronicity of their addiction, where they have physical problems, physical deterioration, that you know abstinence would be the best way of approaching it lah so again uh, depending on on the severity of the condition you can touch the early part of addictions and and there is a small chance you could get some control back but it's very slim lah or some people ride at the spectrum of the the addictions more severe, more severe with chronic problems with chronic health issues uh, to do control be uh, not not possible a very 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 small chance um, but then again, you know, we you know we get all these professionals to come together, but we are only as good as how much effort that person wants to put in uh, to get better uh, and work with the 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 various professionals in uh, in his, in his uh, healthcare management.
0: Yeah, but what I mean, I'm just thinking like you know, in terms of preventive, right? You know, usually people always say like you know, have psychoeducation, teach the public and all that. But I mean, I don't to be honest, I don't see a lot of that happening like in Singapore. You know, like. The educating people about the abuse of substances and all that, yeah. And I, I don't know. I think maybe if we had some kind of psychoeducation, there would be more people will be more opening, to, open the listening, lah. Yeah.
1: I think that is uh, a a a good thing you brought up. They they do have like you know the National Addiction uh, Awareness Day, uh, in Singapore. Uh, various agencies involved. Uh, uh, for example, the National Addiction Management Service NAMS, which is in image uh they are one of the treatment places they have, of course smaller treatment units uh there is we care uh i mentioned sana singapore anti narcotic association they even have their drop in centers there and uh they also have their services there uh and um they have counselors there so some some um, agencies they would they will all come up to to do talks uh do podcasts uh now more and more are coming up la like, even uh, there are other agencies like um there is that, that uh, mental health agency where they, you know, that it's run by uh, a, a young group, uh, especially uh, Indian professionals. And um, they call it Club to Care. La. They have that, that with psychiatrists and, and, and the agency also has... Uh, and, and Club to Care also, they run around mental health talks and uh, some of them also they invite professionals to talk about addictions. You, you cannot run away from addictions. Uh, any country in the world, even North Pole or South Pole, there's a lot of people there. Somebody will have, be at risk of uh, having addiction issues or abuse issues uh, Or if you look into your family line also, You might find somebody there So it's something that everyone needs to be aware you, you don't necessarily need to Know how to treat But you need to know the resources out there You can refer this person to And uh, if somebody is using Or having problems with addiction problems uh, they know. If you know the resources to quickly refer them And they are willing to, to connect with that That's good lah. If they are not Then you know, family also We say there's a, what we call Six degrees of separation There's this rippling effect uh, Addiction can also affect the family and sometimes you have a loved one who doesn't want to get help, you try to find ways to encourage them If that person doesn't want to get help, at least the family get help for themselves and try to sort out things uh, and then find ways to see what they can do to come together to help this family member Hopefully down the line, whoever this family member is who has addiction problems will will seek help But more and more, uh, there are more and more help resources now in Singapore when it comes to addiction as compared to 10 or 15 years ago So that's a good thing
2: but with more help also you see addiction cases increase right
1: we we you see so i i think naturally you know if you you look at the covid 19 i won't say just because of covid 19 people are developing more and more addiction issues lah. but the covid 19 has definitely amplified things so those who already had problems the covid 19 might make it worse and uh, some of them um, you know like i say you know during covid 19 you lose your business you were starting up something new uh, you work from home, also, is not always a, a wonderful thing because sometimes you also have your kids, you have a lot of things in the house that can also add extra stress. Some people are worried, you know, will, how long will I be in my job? Uh, others are, you know, are limited, they like to go out, they like to, to go travel, and you suddenly restrict them, they feel very enclosed. Uh, and with so much restrictions and so much control, um, you know, this can also create problems for your mental health. And that's why, you know, there are a lot of other, uh, you know, um, groups out there that talk about connecting to nature, uh, you know, whether Sungai Bolo, whether you go Mekuchi, whether, you know, sometimes it's good to go out there and just, just connect, uh, you know, and, and, and when, when you can, of course, being safe, keeping safe as well. So the COVID-19 is not something currently that's going to go away, you know, so, you know, how can we, you know, with this limited uh, um, kind of situation we have, how can we make the best of it? and uh, i think i'm, I'm very worried uh, especially with the youth population you know when i grew up you know we, we jump on trees climb up here fall here catch that ball, you name it like, you know but now with this this younger generation i'm worried for their mental health because they are going to uh, uh be you know on the computer a lot of times the way their world is more like more concrete jungle than natural beauty uh parenting has changed also over the years parents are also busy working so so, so all these things are going to add on if it's already Stressful for adults, I wonder for the kids yeah, how kids, right? yeah, more for kids so, so that's that constant constantly being bombarded by like
2: you know like games mm-hmm. peer yeah. pressure internet yeah. internet and you know like pornography yeah, yeah. Uh, addiction also is a rise in youth as well mm-hmm.
1: right? and no one monitors some there are some parents that do monitor what your kids serve, yeah. they don't just give the devices, but there's also the that, that, that responsibility and, and they they say, look, I love you, I'm going to check on you here and there because, you know, you're still young. You know, there are a lot of, a lot of unsavory characters out there on, on, on the internet you can access. And this is, the, you know, this last 20 years people can broadcast themselves on the internet without having to go to a studio, professional studio, you know. You make a fool of yourself, maybe in a local uh, TV station here, maybe some people will know within Singapore. You make a fool of yourself in the internet and do something very crazy, uh, then, you know, a lot of people know about it and, so, you can become famous, yet yeah, you can also become infamous, and you know, if something's uh, the cyber bullying and all these, these things you never heard of many years ago. Yeah. All right. All right.
0: Yeah. Like so, now, sorry, mm. I think now in the recent time, there's this people are more addicted to having validation through, you know, like Facebook. I must get a lot of people likes. People mean yeah. hit when they get the like. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. I I, must I, post
2: something nice so that my friends will.
1: Yeah, you know that, that, that's a phenomenon you know like in gambling we call it intermittent reinforcement or variable reinforcement uh, in between you are getting something good la. so example when you gamble even when you're losing uh, a lot of gamblers who or with problems i uh, have won very big before and uh, of course yes part of gambling you win and lose uh. but the problem is because in between you're winning even when you're losing when this is a matter of time before i win bigger again and some of them will think even if i lose heavy uh, it's a matter of time before I win big and all this will be settled huh? But what most people don't understand, especially those with serious problem gambling issues uh, Is the amount of wins they have is small, the amount of losses they have is very big yeah? The same thing applies to the computer, inter- we call it a variable or rein- uh, variable reinforcement or intermittent reinforcement Because in between you're getting lights, the internet speeds are going faster and faster and faster So in between you're checking your phone, huh? some people they call it the phantom ring You think or something is <laughs> coming there, like, you check because you're constantly getting a lot of your self-esteem and uh, how people view you through Snapchat, Instagram, you know, you can filter your stuff. And all that is reinforcing a lot of things that are not so good lah. Yeah? You, you know, your self-image is tied to how people think about you on the internet. Yeah? And uh, especially with teenagers, you know, brain is still developing. The, the frontal lobe only fully develops around 24, 25. They, they, they are susceptible to all these kind of things that, that come to the net. Who gives them likes? Who... Yeah who says certain good comments, but also, you know, they they also meet unsavory people on the net, there there are people, predators there also, who take advantage of them, blackmail them. So I think a lot of times, uh, you know, parents also, you don't just give the device, you need to check on it. You don't use use those devices as a pseudo-parent, because a lot of parents use it as pseudo-parent. Later when there's a problem, then they go to the counsellor or the practitioner to go and sort it out. uh, All this you should have done earlier. Build a relationship with your kids. Go out with your kids. Yeah. You have kids, your responsibility is to do as much as you can to, to build a relationship yeah. with them. La, yeah? Don't just give the devices to pacify yeah. them and uh, we we do it sometimes, yeah, even I do it, but you know, we try to minimize as much as we can and try to spend as much time as we can with our kids, especially during the COVID-19 period. Yeah. La.
0: Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I think I mean for us we usually see like, you know, people nowadays you go into the train like, everybody's just like yeah. you know looking down at their it phone is. and there's a constant need for validation. validation and then when they don't then they start questioning themselves like you know what's wrong with me why people all like huh ah, today only 20 likes uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know even adults do that. yeah actually Some even, adults adults do that. even after yeah. their you know their brain has been fully developed <laughs> they still have that crave for for likes and validation yeah. No? Yeah. so it's very interesting because i think uh like he was saying something, you know, like it becomes like a like a dopamine like hit, you know, that like kind of thing. So it's like very addictive for them. Yeah. I
1: think it gives that that, that reinforcement, or uh, that positive reinforcement. Uh. Mm-hmm. But the 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 thing is, you know, just imagine if if somebody who doesn't have serious mental health issues is affected by that. Mm-hmm. Just imagine those with serious mental oh, health issues. Sorry. Even worse, you know, yeah. they and I think uh these these things that you get uh, you know, likes and some of it, you know, people just like some really they really like your stuff, la. others they just do it for the heck of it la. Yeah, uh, you know I, I, Yeah, because all these are uh, you know if, if you There's a very good documentary. Uh, it's called The Social Dilemma. I don't know whether you've seen that. Yeah And that, ha- that of course shows a very extreme view of one how social media is I, I don't want to say social media is bad or that takes a very extreme view So you want to see in a very balanced view that good and bad about it. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing social media it's, It saves so many lives. It's done wonders for a lot of us but he also brings his own set of problems yeah. uh, Depending which which kind of the stick you get uh. yeah? So I think it's important to, to, to have a balance of everything in, in, in there if, if, Even if you have kids, adults go out there, mix with friends, try to connect with people yeah. Don't always spend your time on the phone all the time on, on the internet or the tablet And uh, people are also getting, li- li- I won't say we are getting lazier But things are getting too convenient So you know your grab, food and uh, your other you just ordering and people are not exercising Yeah. yeah? I, 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 I mean, for me, I, I like to go to the gym. I stopped going to the gym for a while because now everything is in the book. Uh. So, uh, yeah, it's very lazy. So, But, you know, that also brings, you know, your endorphins, get kicked. Your body has so many other chemicals. Yeah, not just your dopamines, uh, your endorphins, your adrenaline, and, and when you exercise, all these chemicals are also being uh, uh, regulated and, uh, you know, they're activated. Uh, and, and you need that. You cannot just scoop yourself at home. And and the interesting part, a lot of American DJ teenagers are from some of the research. They're becoming less sexually active. They are becoming more cooped up at home. Many of them not going out there and and uh, uh, working or making friends. Many of them they come together. Everyone's got a laptop. They are talking to each other on a laptop. You know, uh, SMS.
0: Yeah, even that happens in school now. Yeah, in like back when I was working in a school, uh, I go into the canteen. Everybody just like,
2: oh, yeah, uh, one table,
0: you know, like. They
2: allow- Phones. Yeah, only during recess. recess time, yeah.
0: so the recess time, everybody's just like, Oh, I must finish my game, and then wow. they sit together and use mm-hmm. game. I'm like, huh, nobody's talking, you know, and it's and so sad. A part, you know, where oh, we yeah. come with friends
1: and, you know, and, and I guess also depends on different generations also, like, you know, working from home, and my generation, uh, I'm not in the millennials, I'm uh, before that, but, you know, so that debuts my age a bit, but uh, my generation, uh, you know, we, we don't like to stay home, cook yeah. up. <laughs> You, know, you need to go out there, meet your friends, you know, I, 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 I'm not the kind of guy who will say I love work from home uh, because I like to be mingling my colleagues, I like to talk, but some people enjoy their, you know, I'm comfortable, my chair, nice place, cosy, give me my, 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 my hot uh, coffee, sit there, you don't disturb me, you give me my targets, okay, you know? and more and more uh, millennials and, and later generations after that want to work from home. Some jobs, yes, you can. Other jobs, it may be a bit tricky. So, a lot of things are also changing. Zoom and all the other devices, while good, can also bring along fatigue, depression. So, you know, long cabin fever, yeah, compartment syndrome, like, you know, deep in thrombosis, where your blood circulation is affected. So, all these things, you know, can add up to our mental health as well. Your physical health is, you know, you cannot separate physical health and mental health. They're all connected. Yeah? There's no such thing as. You know, we just talk about physical health, don't talk about mental health. They all come from one body. Yeah? So I cannot go to a mechanic and say, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's say if, if the, the engine is the, your mental health, your brain, and the rest of the car is your physical I cannot say, hey, don't talk about the engine. I just talk about <laughs> the rest of the other car. But they're all interconnected. If one screws up, the other screws up. Yeah. You get sick, it affects your mental health. Your mental health not well, it also affects you physically. So we have to stop separating that. And you know, why do people always talk about their physical health? Hey, I went for this operation. Hey, I know which bed this doctor is. Hey, these cardiologists are very good. You ask me mental health. Where, where, do you see a counselor? How do I, Where do I find a mental health professional? You know. Oh, you talk about mental health, so, okay keep quiet. Your whole neighborhood cannot hear because it will be a big taboo. But your where you got your operation, your scar, your whole neighborhood will you know, Why? Why? Why is it? Why can't mental health issues be treated like physical health issues? Why do we separate them? And why do we? Have stigma in that, that way, you see. So, yeah. so I think that's a big challenge. Uh, talking yeah. about these issues. Correct.
0: Uh. Yeah, and I was also thinking, you know, like, like, you know, people are so open to, hey, I'm doing my personal training with this guy at this gym, and like, you know, I'm training here. I train five times a week, you know. But when it comes to mental health, they just like they don't even want to talk about it. They don't <coughs> want to seek help. They don't want to, you know. So I find it very it's very sad lah, to see that people still have that stigma about mental health where, you know, it's just I don't want to talk about it. Whereas the physical health, like, wow, I can show off my abs and all that yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, yeah so it's, it's really, people need to know that like you said, it's all together the same body, in, internally and externally it works as one, you know. yeah, And I think that is something that, you know I've been really hoping to see the change in, in Singapore because it's really very sad lah, you know, like people always they are so embarrassed to come out and say, "Hey, I'm seeking help at this place," you know, or they don't yeah. even want to talk about it.
1: Yeah, it, it is still not a, it's not a cool thing. Like in some countries, you say, "I'm seeing a therapist," say, "Wow, well, cool, man." That's, that's a hip thing, like, <laughs> la, You know, yeah, but yeah. in in Singapore, in Asian countries, I think it, it, it's going to take time. But more and more people are coming out to say, "Look, yeah. you know, mental health is quite normal. Yeah. We all go through mental health challenges in our life." Yeah, it doesn't mean you know that word mental health can mean a lot of things. It can mean Sometimes you get depressed, somebody in your family passes away or, or, or suddenly there are a lot of stressors in your job or, That can also add stress to your life and also affect your mental health So, so there's people with mild mental health issues or moderate, but there's people more severe ones yeah. Some of them may require to, to go to seek help in IMH and uh, a, a medical facility Others, you know, you can be treated in a community Yeah, you can see a, a, a social service counsellor, a social worker or other helping professionals, psychotherapists, or, and some may require meds. So I don't want to say that, you know, you go and see a, a medical professional, a mental health professional, a psychiatrist, you know, just taking meds med is only a one part of the yeah. equation. You also need counselling, that, that individual also needs to make, take the effort to connect with society, go to a gym maybe, if they like it, or oh, find things that they like, you know, and connect with that. So there must be a combination of things. We need that combination. We cannot just say one thing and then depend on that. Because even meds, some of the meds can become addictive. So you've got to be very careful with meds. So addiction doesn't just mean illicit drugs, it can also mean prescribed drugs. If misuse, some of these prescribed medications can be addictive and can cause problems. So that's why we always talk about balance. Uh. Yeah. So why can't we bring a gym instructor in? Why can't we bring other people in? You know, it's not just in a, in a medical health profession, you know, it's, it's one group of people. But there's also a bigger society of other people who can also help with your mental health. Like I say, a gym instructor or, or whoever is teaching you other activities out there, you know, boating or you know, canoeing or, or just, you know, going out in nature and, you know. Doing holistic. Doing holistic kind of stuff, you know. There's so much greenery, you know. I wish there was more. Lah. You know, Singapore has changed over the years from, from the 70s, you know, to the late 70s for me playing, you know, in uh, somewhere near MacRitchie and you know, and uh, you know, I stay near very near Pierce Reservoir, and uh, I used to go and catch that and climb on trees. I used to play with my friends, you know, my mom won't look for me until uh, after 7 o'clock, and then everyone, and, and every neighbour knew each other. I like, say, hey, where's yeah. my son now? Oh, he's down there eating my, uh, his house. Yeah. But we don't have that anymore. You know, we, things have changed. Uh, yeah.
2: Funny you say that, like last time, even for us growing up, right, we don't have mobile phone. When we want to call our friends we have to go through all their family members. Yeah. <laughs> you actually know your friends, mom, dad, yeah, well, siblings, right? Call. Yeah. If not your friend pick up you have to Hello, uh Auntie, can I speak to so and so please? Yeah. No, so you actually get to know their family members even though it's for you know
1: yeah. and, and everyone knows each other you're right, everyone knows each other very well, and the whole neighborhood know each other that kind of has gone over time la, you yeah, know yeah
0: definitely we don't see that anymore
1: so that has yeah. changed so so i think also you have to look at our environment has changed more more concrete jungle than yeah. natural maybe we need to relook how we uh shape our environment yeah yeah, yeah. We need to relook what, what the youngsters now they are very different from previous yeah. generations yeah. you cannot compare yeah. them yeah. and uh, we need to look at a lot of things are from the education system to timings yeah. to 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 what other activities they need to connect to, you know, not everything is academic. Yeah, some things also you, you need to have a balance of outside life and, and uh, you know, I hope people are also graded for that, you know. You know, the, the other activities, they, they, you look at their talents and, you know, so all this can affect your, your mental health and I think people have to understand more and more with the COVID-19 and the current situation, it will be normal you to see a spike or increase. Yeah, because like I say, what what nah, it it takes a little bit to maybe push some people over already. Yeah, yeah so yeah. the the COVID nineteen it pushes people over quite
0: the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. more vulnerable ones, lah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think we have always been curious about you know whether addictions is it like a nature or a nurture thing, you know? But I mean, a lot of people will say it's both, and we understand also. But we want to hear from your perspective.
2: <laughs> before you allow Vic to answer the question, right? Okay, can I just add that Because like Just now Vic, You mentioned environment right mm. Then it brought me to Because It brought me to uh, A study that I read Because Priscilla said Hey you are bring you on the show And you are Addiction expert So I had to do my homework <laughs> <laughs> So I read about uh, Dr. Bruce Alexander Oh the Canadian uh,
1: Psychologist way, uh,
2: Red uh, Park, That's right So he Talked about uh, The rats Who had no Who were in isolation Who mm-hmm. had no uh, social life. They were given two bottles of water to drink, right? Mm, one so, was heroin-laced and the yeah, other was just normal water. Yeah, maybe you just yeah, go ahead, you're the, oh. you're the expert. <laughs> Take it away.
1: Uh, okay, I think in uh, one of the articles I, I wrote, I think, uh, for Tumasik Foundation, uh, I didn't mention about Red Park and, uh Red Park talks about environment uh, and uh, Dr. Bruce Alexandra in one of his experiments, he couldn't replicate it as well. Uh, uh, he talked about, um, you know, uh, when he put rats, rats in cages and they put water and drugs, uh, the rat uh, rat kept on going to the the, uh, heroin and eventually he died. Overdose. But what that that past experiments uh, didn't take into consideration was there was only the cage and the rat there. The rat couldn't interact, the rat couldn't have fun, the rat couldn't go and do other stuff. So he created something called rat park, uh, a haven for rats. uh, So that they could jump in the balls, have, have sex with other rats, have fun, you know. And what he found was, even though the, the red drank the heroin water, he didn't drink that much, and he drank more of the normal water, and he didn't need to drink that heroin water. So what he's trying to say, is, society also, some people are more at risk. Environmental issues, they're they put in cages. And these cages, if they don't have other things to do, then, then their relationships will be more with drugs than to cope. Because they are in these cages. Uh, if you release them from their cages, they can connect with society, they can do a lot of other things. Then less and less, they will, when they have relationship with other things around them, they will have less and less relationship with the drugs or the, the sexual activity or the gambling so uh, his, his experiment, he tried to use the Vietnam War as an example you know, people who left after they came back yeah. to America after the Vietnam War uh, they, 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 they didn't become addicts, some, uh, some did but others didn't uh, but you know, in that environment people don't know when they're gonna die or get shot and yeah. out of that fear. also they use drugs to numb themselves so, so he used that as an as a example of real life example uh, um, the thing with, uh, of course, they didn't show in Red Park is there are some, some of them in the Vietnam got treated also before they went back. What they didn't show also that, that sometimes these studies are not easy to replicate again. So uh, he, he, that, that part of Red Park is very good, it talks about the environment, so environment plays a important part. Of course there's genetics as well, some of us are more at risk of because we get our genetics from our parents. Yeah. So if your parents have severe mental health issues or, or, or moderate to severe mental health issues or moderate to severe addiction issues, Genetically, also, you are at risk. But it doesn't necessarily mean genetically at risk, you will develop it. Because also there's an environment, maybe your innate personality, some people are more um, prone to, to using substances to cope. Others will say, no, I cannot do this. I must learn to cope in a healthy way, connect with the right people, have mentors, um, have my other healthy activities to de-stress. And so even though at, in, in at one area, you know, we call it the biopsychosocial model or spiritual model, uh, biology plays a part, uh, sociology, your social environment, psychology, some people cope better than others. Uh, for example, you and me can go into an accident. I could be traumatized, you may not. Yeah, the same accident. Yeah. So some people look at things differently, and, and uh, spirituality, la, spirituality doesn't necessarily mean God, or, but it can also mean wellness, goodness. Yeah? And uh, you know, looking at this model, some people, like as I mentioned about risk factors and protective factors, Biologically, you may be at risk, but other areas you may you have a lot of protective factors So you don't develop it. Whereas for some biologically at risk, socially at risk Yeah, uh, the, other, the, the, more, the more risk factors come, you know, the chances of relapsing is high Then I want to say about addiction. There's some people don't develop addiction in the early part of their life Some may develop addiction in the later part of their life. They retire, friends pass away. No, sorry, nothing to do uh, They um, basically um. Uh, you know, uh, start gambling, for example. And then because there's no other people to connect to, you know, later part, they feel also, uh, you know, I'm very boring in my life. Some develop addictions at a later stage of their life. Or, or to, they will use alcohol because I've retired, I used to be, you know, someone very important. Now life is so boring. Some of my friends have passed on. Now I'm sitting here, you know, not doing as much as I used to do. So some people, may, they don't have other things to connect to. They don't have healthy activities to Then There's also that risk. Yeah. So addiction doesn't necessarily have to begin at the early phases of your life, you can also begin at later stages. Different life phase. Yeah. You say. Different life phase and uh, coping. Uh, because uh, you know, at different developmental stages also, we worry about different things. I don't, I don't worry about my, my life and that, maybe at a later stage. You know, if I'm very young, unless of course you have illnesses, uh, that's different. Uh, but, or pre-existing illnesses. But you don't talk about that, or you don't so early. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At a later stage, as you get older, you worry, you get sickly. You, you know, naturally also we deteriorate as human beings. So you worry and so there are certain thoughts and if those are also not sorted out, uh, you, know, you don't have friends and family, some people do live alone, very lonely. Some of them, they, are, they outlive some of their family members, yeah. even their children. Mm. Then it, it's not easy and, and we need to see what we can do to help this group. So different groups, we need different help and of course the younger, younger group, we want to look at more preventative work like we yeah. can. Uh, yeah. The earlier we intervene yeah. and it doesn't just happen at a, at a at a, a counseling level or at an agent, but also schools, yes. uh, also other agencies that work with kids, uh, you know, the curriculum. I think MOE is looking into it mm. and trying to work on it, but you know, it's always a work in progress. Uh.
0: Yeah, yeah. Back when I was working with teenagers, right, I see like out of 10 addiction cases, uh, addiction to internet and gaming, and all that, nine of them are, are very socially isolated. Like, you know, at home, the parents are always working, they got nowhere to talk to, and no friends want to hang out with them. So they find comfort in the gaming where they have friends talking to them online or all that I think and then they, the parents will come to me telling me like hey why is my son like that what, what happened what went wrong then I, I want to tell them you know like from the beginning you know don't your child is so isolated so alone so I, I feel like the environmental factor is very important mm. also like the like you know if people have more connections more things that they want they feel more fulfillment about outside of gaming people only turn to gaming and online when they feel like oh boredom lah or like lonely or like down but they don't have other ways of coping then they feel like okay oh this helps and then when when they feel very shocked playing the game uh then after that they like oh and every time I feel sad I must always go back to the game. Mm. Then
2: it's they- like the, yeah.
1: it reinforces that behavior yeah. lah. you know and they don't have other things there to to help balance it or counterbalance it. Yeah. Then that becomes that coping mechanism yeah. lah. And, and, and you brought an important point because some people also have social skill deficits. Some people also who use, because I don't I don't want to say everyone who goes heavily into the internet, uh, long hours is an internet addict. Uh, mm. Because there are also push and pull factors. The internet has pull factors. Yeah. But there's also push factors in the environment, family problems, family yeah. issues. Um, you know, nowadays you use the internet virtually for so many things. yeah, yeah. I I For everything. Uh, and when somebody tells me smartphone addiction, uh, I say it's not, so much, it's not so much the phone, it's what the phone can do in terms of accessing the internet. It's still back into the internet. That's, that's a good and bad uh, kind of creation, uh, you know, and um, I think what, what we need to understand is that uh, you know, um, some, some kids are, are more prone to going to the internet and slowly developing addiction because their environment, there's nothing healthy there. Yeah. And some of them spend long hours on the internet for various reasons. Not necessarily there may be a problem, but they could be doing their homework, socializing friends, some of them doing certain projects. All this you need to take in consideration. Do the parents go and check what your kids is surfing, what they're doing, and do you take do you take the trouble to go and have a relationship with them, take them out, go and spend time? And you got you gotta do this much earlier. Yep. If you can do this during their preteens, it's important. Because mm-hmm. once they become teenagers, they're naturally also growing up. They're also kind of pushing away from from their parents because they also want their sense of identity. Yeah. They also want to go and when older teens, you know, they have this sense they will to become adults. So if you don't have that early relationship with them in their early preteens when they're still following you around the house and you want to form a relationship later it's gonna be very difficult, yeah. and I think that, years, that
0: yeah yeah I think the first ten years is like super important'cause mm. that's where the it's their formative years where they mm. learn you know the secure attachment to the pa- the parents and like you know what family means to them, and if that first ten years is not as uh strong uh, for them when they go out, uh everything else is gonna be more attractive than home, you know mm. yeah mm. yeah, so I think
2: Limbic, I mean. Huh? Limbic system. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so
0: like emotionally at home there's no connection, there's no one for them to feel like I can go back to. So mm-hmm. everything else like computer or like drugs and everything, is just more exciting, la, you it's know. Like yeah, like over again, yeah right?
2: exactly. You're so actually, the going back to the yeah. Uh, yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And
1: children are not going to have that reasoning power as adults. Yeah. They look at everything, they take a snapshot of things. So emotionally, they're going to be charged. Like you say. you want to talk about limbic system and emotional system. Uh, you know, they see things from, from uh, uh, like, you know, taking shots and cam- they don't know how to decipher it until much later yeah. as they grow older. But then, you know, how they interpret things in their childhood and all this can be affected. And I'm, I'm not going to say that everyone who has an adverse childhood experience will, will develop serious problems in their adulthood. Of course, there has to be other protective factors which I talked about. So when somebody says, oh, this person has ad- advanced, uh, ad- adverse childhood experience, I say, okay, you know, or oh, oh, they're beaten by their parents, then they will de- develop later trauma and problems. Yeah. I say, you know, I grew up in the late 70s, and you know, my, my parents, you know, they, they use cane, yeah. and you name it, like, you know, they chase you around, uh, they, they scold you, and you know, you go to the teacher, and the teacher says, your son not doing well, I say, oh, you don't do well, there's cane him some more, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a different kind of parenting. And, and, but they also had a the balance. They loved you, they cared for you, they did other things for you. You know, you did, so there's also a sense of discipline then But there's also a balance of other things So it's not just purely abusing the kid And, and not, not doing other things So I think that balance needs to be there Even if you do discipline your kid You cannot go to extremes yeah. So I don't want to say one theory works for kids and, and different kids are different Each one has, Some kids are more disciplined Some kids are a bit more timid Some kids are you know, a lot of things up their sleeve <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just part of being a kid you know? yeah, yeah. So some you know, the parenting You need to modify it a bit to, to deal with that that particular kid, uh, you know, as individuals uh Yeah.
0: Ah. Actually talking about adverse childhood experiences. I mean I I've always been very interested in that study, the ACEs. And then I'm just very curious, like in Singapore do we do the doctors actually or psychologists, do they do the questionnaire the I think it
1: patient? depends. Ah. most uh, most of them who are into this, yeah, they would have their tools and, wow. and, and, and screening tools are guides. Ah, yeah, yeah. That gives you a little bit of, of to see where this person and, and tools help, but tools shouldn't be the only thing you depend on. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, as practitioners in this field, you also need your skills. Yeah. So if you're only uh, just giving tools and and very rigid in that way, ah, uh, to me that's going to be sad, lah. You yeah. need to also, what do I do with it? Okay, I know the result now. What do I do with it? How do I connect with the family? Mm-hmm. How do I interpret the data that that uh, is on there in a in a palatable way for family? Yeah. Because you do certain tests and all that, you cannot just directly from paper go and interpret. Mm-hmm. You need to also understand how to put it across. Tell them that okay, there are some things that shows on paper, but then again, this is just giving a very, very uh, uh, faint idea of like, what it is. It's not definite means on paper means it's bad. La. Yeah. And somebody also, if you look at a client, on paper doesn't look good. La. But human beings will, will amaze you sometimes. You know, they will do things. When, you know, and, and some people on paper looks good, but don't turn out well la, in terms of practicality. So, so paper is always a guide. La. But needs also your skills as a therapist to connect with someone, to give information to, to someone about whatever you have on paper. Yeah, how do I do it in a nice way without scaring people? Yeah. Just like you know, I, I, uh, you know, when we train doctors and all on, on counselling skills, on bedside manners and all that you, know, you don't tell the patient just like that, oh you have this problem and you, know, you just bombard them yeah. How do we deliver information in a palatable way? Or, or for example, uh, somebody has diabetes and they discover they have diabetes How do you tell them in a way that hey, okay, you have this condition but don't worry so much you know, there are also other things that can counterbalance it, you know. Instead of saying, you have this, it's very bad, and
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and then yeah. auntie say, oh, uh, I, I cannot go for my buffet, I cannot eat all that. Oh, you, uh, you you don't give the information properly, you don't regulate it, you don't uh, package it. it, you don't highlight good and bad, yeah. you don't normalize some things. Mm. You know, that person is going to have that extreme thinking, and the more they're going to be resistant to doing making changes. Yeah. So I always say, you know, we change, and you also need to build a relationship with them, and. Don't bombard them with information. Ask them a little bit, and ask them, "Do you understand what I just said?" Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they are shocked, they just heard the information. Give them some time to process yeah. things. Uh. Don't jump in to give more information, because uh. yeah. you know just just hearing the news that I have a certain condition is already, ah, uh, just they are in shock lah. So we have to give them time to process it. Uh, the problem is, they ask a few practitioners. They are they are, they care for for the, the patient, but the way they deliver it, yeah, are yeah, not not the best way to do it lah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, they can improve, and that's part of it also being a, a professional. Can you be a healer, yeah. even before giving the medicine? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you go to your, 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 your GP, for example, that you're comfortable with? You know, besides him giving you meds, or because you trust him with things, and even if you've got serious condition, the first thing that most people go through is their GP. Yeah. You know, I have this, con- because you trust this person, you've got a relationship, He's, mm-hmm. he knows your family history, he knows you very well. And I think that's the important thing, you see, that uh, you, know, you, you have that relationship with them to guide you. But other doctors also need that to make you feel safe, to know that you have a serious condition, but also tell you in, in a nice way that these things nowadays with technology or these things can it's be good. sorted out. And, yeah. you know, there are also these methods we can try. Yeah. You know, don't stop from doing certain things that you usually do. But of course, you need to make some lifestyle adjustments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's important. So, counselling is not left to the realm of counsellors or therapists, uh, whether you're a doctor, you are uh, even, even in gym instructor, or even are other professionals out there you need some level of engagement skills and relationship that makes that goes a long way so Vic we are actually running out of time
2: (laughs) so thanks for you know answering a lot of questions even before I asked you already actually answered (laughs) them it's it's only only the red part uh, the red part study that I wanted to bring out so maybe to close is there any uh, last words or any like uh, advice you would give like people who are you know, struggling with addiction problem that they are not, uh, you know, brave enough to step up.
1: Know that there's a lot of help. There are a lot of helplines, and even if you're not ready to walk into a addiction facility, I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and says, "Today, fantastic day. I'll come and see big. it's already very difficult come see me, But you know, there are there are addiction helplines, uh, and there are resources that the government has given. They can just call the helpline. There are helpline counselors as well. Can engage them and. So maybe go and read up, maybe family members can say, I'll come with you as well, is it okay, and give you that moral support. Yeah, It's not easy, I know no one walks into an emergency room or, or addiction facility just like that, but with the right encouragement, and even if they engage some of the social service agencies first, uh, and depends on their severity as well, in some, some addiction problems can be sorted out in the social service agencies. Some they may need acute treatment first, and then they can go back to the social service agencies. So again, there are so many options. There are so many professionals out there. Uh, Read up a bit. Go to the internet. Go and look up the the you know, and talk to another professional on whether online or um, you know over the the phone. Get the information, and I'm sure with time you know that these these things are normal. Even CEOs of companies come for addiction problems, and uh, you know very famous people do come for addiction problems as well. Yeah, so it doesn't discriminate and. It is a treatable condition, yeah. yeah. Just like any mental health condition, it is treatable.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow! Thank you for sharing that, anyway, thank you so much, Rick. yeah, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. We really learned so much from just our conversation talking about all this, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank
1: you for inviting me. I mean, it mean, it's nice. Uh, I rarely ever do podcasts. So. <laughs> it's like a natural.
2: Yeah, yeah, natural. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: So thank you so much thank you, yeah. Thank you. so um, yeah you stay tuned for the next few episodes because we'll be uh, inviting more people and um, if you want to look for a bit, you can always let me know that I'll transfer you to <laughs> yeah so thank you so much and, yeah, yeah. thank yeah, you was... this was a good one
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.